Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at dtcpod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. Hello, DTC Pod. Today we have Jen Jennings from Nosh Media. Jen is a content creator who I've gotten to know over time for being a content creator on Trend. Jen, I'm very excited to have you on and, and let brands know a little bit more about content and the work you do. So why don't you take it off and um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what Nosh Media is? Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I really enjoyed my time on Trend. Uh, so a little background on me. Um, I'm originally from California. Uh, my whole career background started in healthcare. And on the side, I started doing uh, wedding video and that was a lot of fun. Loved kind of learning about the camera and how, you know, video works and all the, all the intricacies of that and kind of nerded out on that. And then uh, decided during the pandemic to just fully walk away from healthcare. And so uh, that's when I transitioned into creating Nosh Media, which is I'm now the creative director and uh, I primarily create content for CPG brands, food, beverage, beauty, and um, now I create all types of different content, photo, video, UGC, all the good things. Um, and I found other apps such as Trend that allow me to be able to connect with brands and create a lot of UGC content for them. That's been a lot of fun. So that's kind of how yeah. I got here. It's interesting how you mentioned that you were a wedding um, photographer, videographer, and like how the pandemic sort of unlocked the UGC because... Initially, it was, well, for the creator's perspective, it's like, well, it's the only kind of content I can shoot at my house. But then they started getting jobs and gigs and saying, well, now I can just do this by doing my passions, doing the things that I like, and I don't have to go to someone's wedding um, that I don't know and like sacrifice my time and, and do that. So how was that transition? Like, did you ever go back to that or did you just double down to keep increasing those engagements, um, how, how was that transition? Yeah, I mean, I uh, completely, like I had a hard stop. So I stopped doing weddings completely and just made the decision that I'm going to go all in on uh, CPG brand content because during the pandemic, you know, all these brands were like crushing it because they're running Facebook ads, they're making money, like everybody was at home just buying stuff. And so there was kind of a huge surge for a need for content. Um, and at the time, it was kind of that professional high-end video and photo. And so I kind of took those skills. Um, and yeah, I it was like, it was a hard, hard switch. So, and I didn't look back. <laughs> yeah. And so for the creators that are making that kind of content, you know, some creators stand out for like having something in particular that they use their environment as their assets for so you know or skill set whether it's environment or skill set if someone lives by the beach they just become like a beach content creator 
what was your niche? Um, you know, were you cooking these recipes? Were you, I know, you know, I, I know more about your work and like the stop motion and everything. Um, but what was your specific thing that you leaned into for why brands chose you instead of other creators and how did you differentiate yourself? Yeah, I think I really leaned heavily into like the studio style um, because I realized I could manipulate, you know, my bedroom to be anything in a studio. You, you know, you put up a backdrop, you get props and you could create anything. And then that kind of slowly transitioned into other areas of my home. Definitely like kitchen heavy, um, bathroom, you know, for beauty and that sort of thing. But I definitely started out with like more of a studio look, I would say. And then that that quickly transitioned. Yeah. And the, how, how did your, I mean, wh where does your creative mindset come from? Like take us back to your background. Um, you know, most people aren't thinking like of seeing that opportunity of being able to turn the bedroom into a creative studio and, you know, have it have it generate you money through your apartment. So like, where, where does this all come from? Where did it all start? Yeah, I think what's interesting when you do weddings, it's the most crazy experience because you just don't know what you're walking into. <laughs> like, uh, so when I filmed weddings, like I didn't know if I was going to walk into some like dark dungeon and be filming the groom getting ready or if it was going to be some beautiful lavish hotel and so you kind of have to be prepared for anything and be able to create really beautiful content because people expect you know their wedding video to look beautiful of course and so um it I think that was like the best first experience as a creative because I got to kind of just get thrown into the craziest lighting situations um you know location situations timeline situations too you you know sometimes you're running from one place to the other and so I think that's what kind of gave me that foundation to be super flexible that I can look at any environment and say okay I know how I'm going to shoot this I know how I'm going to set the lighting I know how I'm going to you know put my angles like exactly how I want it to look that kind of gave me that foundation to be able to do that yeah and so I mean so now you know you have the creative background and experience with that but now you enter the landscape of like shooting content from your home with brands who might not be used to hiring individual individuals as you know running their content in state agency. So this is the part where the rates, the negotiations, all these things come into play. Where um, you know you might not need as big of a setup, or you might not need to spend four hours or five hours, but it adds up once you have a ton of brands and you're working with a lot of brands, and so given that this is happening through the pandemic, you're almost, you know, forced to sort of define what these rates are going to be. You know, this isn't an established um, way to hire content creators yet. And we're sort of making it up as we're going, which is almost, you know, what, what trend was doing in the early days with our fixed rate and everything. And so before we dive into like the types of content and all that, I want to talk about UGC specifically, because I feel like this is what was born out of like that pandemic um, the boom of content that we still see today. And I would love to hear it from you directly. Like, what is UGC? It's a, it's a simple question, <laughs> but um, I, we see a lot of brands asking for it. So how, from your perspective, what is UGC? Yeah, I think it's really, the way that I look at it, it's a very different type of content than what I, you know, typically make. And that it's just kind of about, a person, their iPhone, and their environment, right? And then taking 
the product that they either own or are tasked to create content with and making whatever they want out of that. And it that's kind of as simple as it is. And I think it's a little bit more raw than other types of content. And that's what I really love about it. Um, so that's kind of how, how I would define yeah. it. So, okay, so a brands hear this and then some brands are doing UGC with their team members or in-house. What are some of the pros and cons of, you know, outsourcing to a creator to UGC versus doing your UGC in-house? I mean, from from my perspective, one of the main reasons is you just don't have that representative within your company that can, you know, um, that, that can be, you know, you don't have a 12-year-old kid in your company that can make this UGC if you're selling to kids. Yeah, I think being able to access not only, you know, creators outside of your company, but a variety of creators. So, I mean, your customer is going to be very diverse, right? It might be a family, it might be a couple, it might be a single person, you know, living in different environments. So being able to access different types of people to be able to represent your product in a similar way is how you're going to be able to connect with as many different types of customers as possible. So I think that's a huge benefit to hiring out your UGC. I've heard it uh, called, I think it's like EGC. It was like employee generated content. <laughs> okay. That's a new category. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. I think obviously like being able to have somebody in house that's going to create that like consistent content is awesome. But then you should be able to supplement that with, um, you know, other creators that are all over the country from diverse backgrounds and, you know, different environments. Do they live in a house? Do they live in an apartment? Like, Right. Who's going to resonate the best with your customer? You really want to think about those things. Yeah. Like what is their lifestyle? What is they? What is their day to day? What places right. do they go to that you would otherwise not go to? Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of our things is like the, the environment being a huge asset for your brand. You can tap into people's environments. Um, so outside of UGC, um, you, you make the studio content. How is this different in terms of time? effort which all goes back down to the rates you know um like how how is it different the process of making studio content the making ugc um and then do you see these as just two completely different things that might have two completely different rates or um you know one is just a different form of an art than the other yeah i think it really depends <laughs> that's a horrible answer but um it depends on the the expectation level. So, you know, if you're looking to, you know, look create content that looks like a Coca-Cola ad, that's very different than saying, hey, you know, we want some pictures with some props, you know, on a green backdrop. <laughs> so it just depends on the expectation level. I will say um, UGC can be just as complex as studio content depending on the complexity level. And I kind of break out my higher end content into studio and lifestyle because I think there's a, a time and a place for lifestyle content as well, even if it's done with a professional camera. Um, but I think that it really honestly just depends on what your expectation level is. And I think setting that expectation and you know providing examples of what type of content you're looking for as a brand um, can be helpful in determining how much it it's going to cost, right? So if your expectation level is higher, it's going to cost more, you know, if there's mm -hmm. more involved. 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the lifestyle because it reminds me of all of sort of the categories that are within content itself. So, you know, you have photography, then you have videography, then you have UGC, then you have, you know, um, you have UGC, you have product shots, you have lifestyle content, um, you have testimonial content. How do you, and then you have length, right? Like short right. form, longer yeah. form, 15 seconds, 60 seconds. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, exactly. So how do you break those down? Do you have sort of like a blueprint? Like if we were to be a strategy um, with, with Nosh Media, trying to understand like, how do you break down rates and content? Well, what are those categories and pillars? Yeah, so right now I have my content broken down into like product on white background, uh, product in studio with props, uh, product in lifestyle, and then the UGC style content, uh, stop motion content, and then more of like a high-end video ad. So that's how I currently have it broken down. I'm sure there's a lot other ways you could break it down because there's so many different complexities. Um, and then within the video category, obviously the length is important. Um, understanding what type of audio is going to be required. Um, this aspect ratios, all of those things kind of start to come into play depending where the content's going to be used. So, right. Yeah. The aspect ratio itself, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> aspect ratio, you want to make it native to a specific platform. And so this is where the creative brief comes into play because this all is like, this all has to go in symphony together in order to produce the perfect, you know, um, output where we just don't have to do as, you know, more revisions and let's try to get it right, be aligned on the first time. Um, and all of those details have to be predetermined. However, not all brands know that your lighting wasn't going to be like that. So now they want the, the better lighting. Um, they didn't know you would shoot, you wouldn't shoot enough angles. Now they want you to drive back to the beach and then yeah. do that, that piece of content. Um, and so what are some of the things that you see most commonly that brands get wrong when doing a brief? Yeah, I think I would say like 90% of the brands that come to me have zero brief. <laughs> so <laughs> that I would say is your first mistake. Yeah. Um, but I think really what it takes is spending some time understanding what it is that you want as a brand and why. Um, and that is like taking a really hard look at your current content and what's performing. Because sometimes the things that do really well are not things that seem that obvious. Um, to you know to someone who maybe doesn't come from a creative background and as a creator the things that i'm thinking about are you know what's happening in the content in the first three seconds um you know what environment is it in what lighting is being used is it natural lighting is it hard lighting is it you know afternoon sunset lighting um those types of things are things that you're uh customers might be really resonating with and is the aesthetic that they're really drawn to. And so you have to kind of go through your current content and see what's performing well. And from that, you can kind of start to put together a brief of, okay, we know, you know, when videos are shot in front of a big window with this beautiful natural lighting, they perform really well. And we know that when people say this in the first three seconds, they perform really well. So starting to look at some of those themes 
and utilizing those in your brief. And then there's some of the things that are like not obvious. And I say this because I know there's a lot of creators that might need to get this in the brief that it's like, you know, make sure your environment is not cluttered. Make sure, mm-hmm. you know, you're wearing either dark colors or bright colors. You know, what what's going to resonate with the brand? Um, it, there's all these little things that if you kind of sure. leave it up to the creator, you might not get back what you were envisioning, but you mm-hmm. really have to spell it out. And it might seem tedious and kind of like redundant and obvious, but spelling it out is very, very helpful for the creator because it's going to increase your you know, chance of success on what you get back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point of like, just also your vetting process and the creator you choose to work with. Um, you know, we've seen instances where a creator had a slight logo of a shirt um, in the shoot and therefore the entire shoot is just not going to work. Um, and I feel like some of that can be prevented if you look at the brief. The challenge for some companies is that they know they need more content, uh, but they don't know what kind of content. And so I think looking at that previous performance is a great place um, to start because at the end of the day, the only reason we make content and brands make content is to have better marketing and better performance. And by the way, you know, better performance might not necessarily be a specific ROAS. It could be generating, you know, getting attention, getting followers, and all of these are building a community. And all of these have, you know, a completely different goal, which the creator should be completely aligned with. Um, and be truthful if that's something that, like, you know, they they focus on and that's something that they can actually um, deliver on. So, what are your what is your ideal customer of a brand like what do they do right uh when they're briefing um and and sort of like you know come come to hire you yeah i i'm somebody who i would say this is gonna sound weird i'm not like innately creative i actually don't come up with ideas out of thin air and so i like very specific instructions and i would think most people probably do appreciate that so i kind of like to have a breakdown of you know number one where's this content going? Is it going to be on TikTok, Instagram? Is it going to be for paid ads? Because those are different types of content. You know, what are you trying to achieve with this? Are you trying to get more followers, more views? Are you trying to convert people? Um, Because that's going to change how I'm going to approach the content that I create. So I want to know that first and foremost. Um, Obviously, you want to know technical things like, do you want, you know, an iPhone? Do you want a professional camera, vertical, what aspect ratios? They would lay all of that out for me. Um, And then, you know, what do you want me to wear? What type of lighting? What environment would you like to see? Um, And then uh, audio is a big thing, too. So I prefer not to put any sort of music behind any of the content. That way they can, you know, have more opportunities with it when they upload it to TikTok or Instagram. Um, But what type of things do you want me to say about the product? So definitely including things like, you know, three different hook ideas. Uh, What are your top features and benefits? Uh, What are are some call to actions that you would like? And it might just be going to the website or it might be, you know, you know, follow for more. Knowing what what are you trying to achieve? That way I can give the brand as many different opportunities to, you know, achieve whatever objective they're trying to achieve. Um, yeah, those, those are kind of the main things that I look for in a brief. Yeah, for sure. And then what about 
Well, how do you handle like say a revision process? So you get aligned, you have a lot of experience. You get aligned with the brand and then something happened that the brand didn't brief and so you feel bad for the brand, but at the same time, you know, the brand should have done their homework and their prep in the beginning and work is not free. So um, how do you, how do we look at a revision process and what advice do you have to brand? So, so whoever is listening to this as a brand can understand that from like the creator's point of view. Yeah, I think um, it is, it's definitely hard if you go into a project with not a lot of information and you know, you're, you're kind of left to, to do whatever. And then they come back and say, we don't like that. <laughs> But if there's something you don't like, it could be a very specific thing that's an easy fix. If it's an easy fix, I have no problem, you know, going in, switching a clip, you know, changing a voiceover, a pronunciation of something. You know, if it's it's my mistake, no problem. Um, if it's something that wasn't, you know, drawn out, sometimes it, it could require refilming, which can be difficult because <laughs> that requires yeah. like putting the same outfit on, like doing right. the hair the same, like waiting for the same the hour of the day for the sunlight. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's why like it, it can be a little bit complicated. So, uh, you know, I think the more information you provide, the less that's going to happen and less frustration you're going to have with your creators mm -hmm. as well. Um, and on that note, um, one of the ways that I've found to kind of help prevent that is I create a lot of my uh, content. Like I create a ton of clips, uh, varying clips of the product, of me using the product. And I do primarily voiceovers. And the reason I do that is that if there's an issue with what I said, there's an issue with the order, it's a really, really easy fix. And it eliminates my frustration. It eliminates you know, time for the brand to have to wait for me to reshoot on another day. Um, and I found that that's super, super helpful. So if you find that you need content quickly, you don't want to have these issues, I would say you can encourage your creators to say, hey, create a bunch of content and just do a voiceover and, you know, create your hooks, your features and benefits and your calls to action. And then if there's any issues, we can quickly fix the voiceover. Yeah, I love that because, um, yeah, you can just fix the voiceover and, and not have to reshoot. But I'm curious, is there a world where a brand could and a creator could potentially bring up like how we're going to resolve a revision? Like here, here's the guidelines, like here's my policy for revisions. And, you know, if you want more, if you want one or I have none, like what are some of the best ways to sort of, you know, address the elephant in the room of like the worst case scenario right. almost not being satisfied at the end? Right. Yeah. I mean, if if you don't have something set in place, it could kind of be an endless, you know, oh, fix this. Oh, fi well, we didn't notice this last time. Fix this. Right. Um, my, my policy personally is there's one revision and then that's it. So, you know, it, at that point, you can either choose to, you know, charge for another uh, mm -hmm. asset or you can bill hourly for the editing so th mm -hmm. those are kind of the two ways to handle it if it can't be resolved within one revision so mm -hmm. that's how, um, that's and, how i typically handle it and so now if we step into you know from the brand's perspective what advice do you have for brands into vetting the creators and choosing the right creator for them you know within trend we're a huge network we have a bunch of creators um jen is one that gets hired a lot 
Um, so you're doing something right and I love it, but well, you know, for, for brands that want to, um, find, you know, I see so many different needs. Like it all depends on the goals again. Like, you know, are you trying to attract a certain demographic to your brand? Um, it's not all just the quality of the content. So what are some of the benchmarks by which you suggest brands to, to judge a creator by in order to like approve to hire them? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely obviously look at their portfolio and see if the style of work is resonating with you because everybody kind of has a different style of how they create content. And then if you are, uh, you know, putting out listings on trend, be sure to call out who you're looking for. Um, You know, I, I see projects that are like, we want someone with a child or a dog. I don't have either of those, so I'm not going to apply. Right. Um, so call that out, obviously. And the people are like, if they are a mom, they're going to be like, apply, right? Um, but also um, look at their performance of their content. So if someone's, you know, if you have someone approaching you wanting to do UGC content for you, go and see if you can look how the content is performing on the brands that they perform content for. So go look at the views, the shares, the likes, you know, if they have that data on the back end. And are they uh, using it? Yeah. Right. So is it, where's it being used? Are they primarily doing ad content? Are they doing TikTok content? Like, you know, look at those different things and evaluate, do those align with what we're trying to do with our content? Because I think those are super important things to look at. And then obviously the quality, you know, a big thing that I hear frustrations from brands is like, you know, how much care is put into the environment to make sure everything, you know, looks nice, is aesthetically pleasing and, um, you know, how much they're paying attention to the brand. I always spend a lot of time, you know, looking at the brand's website, reading reviews, understanding what's important to that brand, what the the colors and the look and the feel are. And so do you see the content they're creating? Does it look like it should be created for that brand or are they mm-hmm. just kind of haphazardly creating it? So those are things yeah. that I, I would look at. Yeah. So if you're looking at a, yeah. So, I mean, I love the performance angle. I hadn't thought about that. And that was probably what I would do as a brand is, you know, I see they worked with, you know, X brand. Is that brand actually still using their content? Did they ever publish it? What was the engagement on that? And, that way you don't you don't need to do the vetting of the creators you don't need to ask them much just watch what they've done um and that'll speak volumes so when it comes down to uh then you know pairing up and and negotiating and and establishing the rates are these are these the same benchmarks that you look at when we discussed earlier what platform is it for like what are some of the things that determine what the rate should be especially because you know, if we think of, um, you know, being a photographer at a wedding, most of these rates are like based on a half day, a full day. Uh, and, th- and that's very industry standard, but this is very different. And and I know Trend has like pre-negotiated rates and everything because we're trying to do it at such scale. But what advice do you have for, for brands when negotiating or, um, you know, trying to better understand what, what the industry norm is for studio content versus UGC, et cetera. Yeah, I think it, it kind of goes back to uh, what the level of expectation is and where it's going to be used. So something that's going to be used for a paid ad 
the understanding is that it you know needs to be at a different level so you may need to be able to modify this content to change out the hooks change out the call to actions and then there's going to be a lot of dollars behind it and so you should expect to pay more for something that will be used for paid ads um and then you know something that's going to go on social media and maybe it's like a quick kind of trend thing might not cost as much and it might be easier for the creator to create it and quicker um and then in terms of more of the high-end stuff like studio content it, it is kind of the same thing it's a level of expectation so um if you are looking to hire a creator i think the best thing you can do is really share examples of what you're thinking so that they can look at that and say okay how long is this going to take me um you know do i need to purchase any props uh do i need to travel what is that going to look like because they can then uh give you a proposal that's going to be make sense to them right for the level of effort that it's going to take and that's really what it comes down to is how, how much effort is it going to be on the creator's end so if you do have uh content that you want to get created and it's a little bit lower you know effort i don't i don't need to leave i don't need to go very far i don't need to show my face you know right. the, the price probably could be lower um right so yeah, i like providing that examples um, is helpful yeah, I like the the effort um, part uh, because some content, you know, brands might want to even hire you for content where the product isn't even involved. You might be doing a walkthrough or an explanation of something or like, do you already have the product? You might not even have to wait, um, you know, to get product and deal with the logistics side of all that. So I'm curious for brands that might be listening that, you know, they're thinking, all right, well, I want to hire my first creator for shooting content. What is the standard? engagement in terms of assets that brands mostly ask for you know the brands ask for if it's photos versus if it's videos do they ask for you know because if i if if it were a wedding they go they shoot all this content for a half day a full day then you pick it how is that different from the process of like the, what you see from brands engagements yeah i think for the type of assets that i create uh especially for like photo you know studio photos and that sort of thing um, it, it depends on what you need. So if you, if you're like, Hey, I just need my product on white. Um, you're going to see rates anywhere from 50 to $200 per image. Um, as you start needing things like props, um, you know, set design, that sort of thing, those could start to go up per image. And then video in general is kind of going to start a little bit higher per asset because it's just more complex by nature. And so I think any video asset's going to start at 100. It could start at 250. So it really just depends on what you're looking for. Um, but that's kind of how brands should sort of think. And then as their complexity goes up and as they start needing props and things like that, those things are going to get billed out. Um, and so, you know, you could be, it could be $700 for right. one video asset or a thousand dollars. It just depends. What are, what are videos that you, what are engagements that you say no to? Like, is there a length that, you know, I just know it's not going to be worth the time or it's just something I don't do? Um, things that I would say no to, let's see. I think I don't do the traditional, like two to three minute video content anymore uh, because we live in such a like fast-paced social media world i don't even actually see the point 
I, I don't see the value for brands. And so I have had brands approach me and say, oh, you know, we want a two minute video. And my response is like, why do you need that? <laughs> because yeah, unless no one's attention on span. Yeah. yeah. And, you, you know, you think it's going to live on for 10 years. I, I don't really see the value. Um, and it's it's actually more difficult to try to come up with two minutes of content uh, yeah. than it is, you know, even I, I will say 15 seconds. It's hard to cram a lot into 15 seconds. So my yeah. sweet spot is like 15 to 30 seconds. So Well, now, now you're going to have brands doing huge, really detailed briefs and telling you the video is 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're, like, you're oh, putting gosh. the work. Yeah. Now you're, <laughs> you're putting the work. All these features and benefits in 15 seconds. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Really exactly. I mean, that happens too, right? Yeah. Like brands want all these sort of to call out every, they just give you basically <laughs> their entire website and say, explain our product in 15 seconds. How do you handle that? Yeah. I think when, when, uh, when they put together briefs like that, I personally look at it as kind of like, I'm going to cherry pick what makes the most sense for me to, to talk about. So, um, it's helpful. The more information to me, I appreciate, but then I'm going to look through that and say, okay, what do I want to highlight? Um, and what I like about trend is with the video content, there's two assets. So, you know, if I don't hit it in the first video mm -hmm. asset, I can hit it in the second one. How did you find out about trend? I'm curious. You know what? I think I found it on LinkedIn. I'm oh, actually okay. trying to remember. <laughs> yeah. I think I came across it on LinkedIn or I... Either that or do you guys run ads? I might have gone and paid ad. <laughs> yeah, we probably, okay. we probably, we definitely do. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, your profile stood out when we started also, we, we've seen these challenges of like briefing and revisions and, you know, it's the basis of our entire platform or which we're, we're trying to productize and we build with both sides in mind. As you probably have seen, Trend doesn't take a side on like, it's the brand's world or like it's the creator's world. We always go um, and look at it, everything from both um, sides and, and try to build the best experience for both sides. Um, this is where the content packs were launched, where we said, look, some brands don't know how to explain what they want, but they know how to point out for what they want. And so I saw what that brand did. I want to do that. Or I saw what Jen did for that one brand. I want that. And so we made the content packs. I think you were one of the first people we made the content packs with, made a few thousand um, uh, from, you know, the, the the first few packs. And so I just thought I have to get Jen on on the podcast. Um, what, what have you ever, and I'm curious because this has happened, have you used um, Trend as a brand? Because we've had some of our creators use it as a brand because they work as a social media manager for a company, et cetera. I have not. Okay. I actually, okay. I've, I've wanted to because I want to see what the other side looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to be all in there incognito mode. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah. What what has been some of your favorite like parts about being a member of, of Trend? Yeah, I uh, the, the biggest thing for me um, from doing, you know, having clients that I procure via email, social media, or whatever, versus trend, the biggest difference for me is the time that I have to spend in pre, what I would call pre-production, right? So when I approach a brand uh, via email and say, hey, I want to create content for you, there is a lot of uh, meetings and, you know, pre-production that goes on 
Versus when I get a client on trend, it's pretty clear what I need to do. I get the product and I go execute, right? So that's what I have appreciated the most is that it cuts down a lot of the sort of back and forth and really streamlines the process of content creation. And I think that's not only good for brands, but I think it's really good for creators too, because we do uh, feel that we need to spend a lot of time, you know, either pitching brands or, you know, trying to sell them on whatever different uh, content we want to create for them. And we spend a lot of time talking to them, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we just want to create. I think that's that's what it is. Like I just right. I want to create. I want to I want to get a product. I want to get a brief and I want to go execute on that. And so the fact that it is sort of taken out that that beginning portion and it, you guys are basically doing all the pitching for us, mm-hmm. right? At Trend and I I love that. And so the yeah. brands come to us they're already excited to work with us and, you know, we just go execute and then we deliver and then you have happy customers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great to hear. And and that's why the brands are able to just hire uh, because they've trusted us, trusted us, Trend, to do the initial um, vetting. And, you know, we don't we don't just sort, even though obviously your content is very good, we don't just tr- um, vet for content. We vet for communication skills, for timeliness, responsiveness, the speed that they deliver the content, the storytelling. So I'm glad that we got a chance to have this conversation because it just shows the depth of like how much there is into getting an asset created into that collaboration to have it be successful. Because once you have a successful asset, um, the next part that's most important for you to nail down as a brand is your process for now scaling this operation. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I I think nowadays, uh, I, I say volume is everything, you know, social media is like playing the lottery. And if you're not th- put, putting in your ticket every day, like you, you need volume and enable to, in order to do that, you need an app like trend to be able to create that, that volume very quickly and, you know, get that turnaround and efficiently. So I think, I think it's, it's good for both, both sides. Yeah. I mean, um, again, it's great to hear it because that's ultimately what we want to do is have a, a place with jobs and, and giving value to creators. We we didn't want to be a platform where, you know, it's just for you to collect invoices and, and for us to, to make money. Instead, like, why are you here? You know, we want to give value. And, at, and on the other side, we want to give as much value as possible to brands to to tap into your environment as a content creator, your skills, your storytelling skills and and everything. So, um, Jen, it was great having you today on this conversation. Uh, if anyone who is listening wants to learn more about you, your engagements, and, and keep up with all the content you make, where can they find out more about you? So, my website is noshmedia.com and my Instagram is nosh.media. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Jen Jennings. You can find me there. So, awesome. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.